So I'm not a big sci-fi guy, uh, but it was during COVID where I got the chance, as I think a lot of us, to watch a bunch of movies. And I got to uh, watch this series that I've now come to love, and that's, uh, that's Star Wars. How many of you love Star Wars here? Yeah, so it, if I were to ask you, who's your favorite Star Wars character, who would you say? Chewbacca. Chewbacca, I like that one. Darth Vader. Han Solo, my guy. Okay, Boba Fett. What about, what about Yoda? That's my favorite character. Who, who likes Yoda? I don't know about that one. So, who I, I, I'm sure you wouldn't say, and I don't think I heard anyone say this one, is uh, C-3PO. Someone said it, my guy. Yeah, C-3PO. Why is it that you wouldn't think of uh, C-3PO as your favorite uh, Star Wars character? He's annoying. Booyah. Yeah, but it's besides that... He's annoying, I think, I mean, he is annoying, and he's also, he also doesn't do too much as a droid. He doesn't contribute too much to the movie, which is funny, because I feel like if they just took him out of the movie, the movie would be the same, like Star Wars would be the same, he doesn't do too much. But I think there's something else that makes C-3PO unique and uh, makes him different than any other Star Wars character. And it's something that characterizes C-3PO, and I'm assuming why you thought he was annoying is because of this reason. And it's because he complains. He's always complaining. It seems like in every scene that he shows up, he's always complaining. He's always arguing with someone. He's always uh, uh, bickering about something. He's always dissatisfied and expressing his dissatisfaction to the other characters. And I think C-3PO is someone that is characterized by what the Bible says we should not be known as. And that's be known as complainers. We should not be known as complainers. And C-3PO is that. And today, uh, I, I think it's a, it's a sad reality that I think... A lot of us here are people who are known for our complaining, are people who um, are guilty of complaining always. And I think it can be something that can just be a habit, a sinful habit that can go unnoticed, and we, we don't do anything about it. But today we're going to look at a passage where God is going to tell us that if we stop our complaining, if we curb our complaining today, we're going to be able to be effective witnesses for Christ and uh, we should do it for the sake of causing others to rejoice because of our obedience to God's word. And so if you turn with me to Philippians 2, uh, verses 14 through 16, we're going to read today. It's Philippians 2, 14 through 16. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. If you just take a quick glance at verse 14, we get these two words, grumbling and disputing. Uh, so for the rest of the sermon, you can think of these words as complaining and arguing, complaining and arguing. And uh, I think a word complaining is something that you're familiar with, uh, but I, what's up with that word arguing? A word arguing has to do with, uh, think of the word uh, dialoguing, dialoguing. So it's something that goes on in your mind. It's something that goes on in your thoughts. So maybe you, uh, you don't verbalize your complaints as grumbling would be, something that you do audibly, but maybe you complain in your thoughts, in your mind. So you don't say it, uh, but that's also complaining. And so here we see two different expressions of uh, complaining, one that is uh, verbally and one that's internally. 
So you got externally and internally. And so it's important to keep that in mind as we think about complaining and what it is. And I think this can become, like I said, a habit for us. It's probably something that we haven't even noticed before. Maybe we have, but we just don't know how to actually stop it. We naturally aren't uh, people that are content. We are naturally people who are, are, we're not satisfied. We are always dissatisfied and uh, looking for something more and uh, always wanting more. Uh, Which is why I, I think as you read this passage in verse 14, you're not like, you know what? It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. I got that one in the bag. This is not for me. I think this is for all of us today, that we should all learn to, uh, uh, to not complain and to not argue. And it's going to take a lot of effort on our part. It's going to take some attention. It's going uh, to be hard. It's going to take struggle. And so we're going to have to learn how to do this because we naturally don't do this. So I want you to, uh, po- to write for point number one. I want you to learn to be content. Learn to be content. A contentment this is a godly attitude that God wants us to have, something that he desires us to have. And uh, someone who actually learned this important quality, this important uh, characteristic, is uh, the guy that's writing this book. You guys know who's writing the book of Philippians? Yeah, it's Paul. So turn with me just one page to Philippians 4. In verse 11, we're going to look at. Verse 11 says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I am to be content. Do you guys also happen to know where Paul was as he was writing this? He was in jail. He was in prison. And so he was in the worst of circumstances. He wasn't like us as we, uh, as we kick up our feet and are watching TV and are just hanging out in our house, right? No, he was in the complete opposite. He was in prison. As you can imagine, he was probably hungry. He was probably uh, in chains, physically in chains, probably uh, definitely malnourished, probably beaten, mistreated, right? The complete opposite of what we would think. And he's saying that, he says in verse 11, that in whatever situation, he's going to be content. He's going to be content. And you know the one thing that he wasn't doing here? He said he wasn't complaining. He wasn't doing what he himself says to do in verse 14. He wasn't grumbling or disputing. Uh, And why is that? Well, drop down to verse 19 of chapter 4. Look what it says. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory and glory in Christ Jesus. See, Paul knew that God is in control of everything. He was governing all his circumstances, and God was also good. So two things. God was in control of everything, and God was also good. And so Paul was trusting that fact. He knew that, you know what, God, I know that you are in control of everything, and you're also good, and I'm going to trust you. And that's what Paul was trusting, and this is I think this, is, this gets to the root of our complaining. This gets to what, what complaining really is. It's a lack of trust on our part, a lack of trust in God, not uh, believing that God is in control of all of our, all of our circumstances and that he's, he's not good. That's what uh, complaining is at the, at the root of it. So we can either um, ex- express our verbal dissatisfaction with God as we say it audibly, or we can think it. And this is directly to God. Think about that. Complaining isn't only a sin to uh, other people or to other things or to circumstances, but it's directly to God. And that's why it's so horrible. It's to God. Now ask yourself, what do I complain about? What are things that I complain about? I think one thing for sure is, uh, is food. Think about food. Um, 
There's a, my, as I was growing up, my mom used to uh, give us a lot of leftovers. It was not my favorite. She would always give us leftovers. And I'd always be like, okay, I guess we'll have leftovers. And uh, ima- imagine you're, uh, you're, you sit down on the table and uh, right, you're ready to eat. Let's go. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten all day. And then your mom puts this uh, two-day-old meatloaf on the table and you go, I don't want that meatloaf. I don't want that meatloaf. And you start complaining. It, I, I, that's something I've done where we start complaining because we get leftovers or we just don't like that type of food that they're giving us. Uh, Thanksgiving's coming up and I'm sure a lot of your family will ask you to help out in the house, to help out in making some food. Uh, and, and you might not verbalize it, but you might complain in your mind, man, do I really have to help out with that mac and cheese? Like, I don't want to make that mac and cheese. I just want to eat that mac and cheese. I don't want to help out with that. Or maybe it's during the meal and, uh, Mac and cheese, that's my favorite meal, uh, my favorite dish for Thanksgiving. And so as you're sitting there on the Thanksgiving dinner, and you're just eyeing that mac and cheese, you're like, I need to get that mac and cheese. I want that mac and cheese. And then you're about to get that mac and cheese, and then you see that your uncle Paul gets uh, this piece of mac and cheese that you wanted so bad. And you don't say, obviously, Uncle Paul, why'd you get that mac and cheese? But you, do, you are thinking it. You are thinking it. Man, I just wish my uncle Paul didn't get that mac and cheese. I wanted that last piece of mac and cheese. Or, uh, talking about dessert, what about dessert? My favorite dessert is a uh, pumpkin pie with whipped cream on top. That Cool Whip, right? So you, you go in, in the fridge and you try to get that Cool Whip, right? And then you see your Uncle Paul getting that Cool Whip. <laughs> what? What are you doing, Uncle Paul? Oh. And right, maybe you don't say that, but you're thinking that. Man, Uncle Paul, I wish you didn't get that Cool Whip. I wish you didn't get that Cool Whip because that was mine. I wanted that. Christmas is coming up, so you get gifts. Maybe... You don't get what you want for Christmas. Maybe you're wanting uh, some new AirPods or uh, a PS5 or some new device that you want or something that you want. Imagine, what's the thing that you really want for Christmas? What if you don't get it? And you thought you were going to get it. And you don't say that verbally, but you are thinking that, man, why didn't I get that? I was asking for that. I wanted that. But you don't get it. And you start complaining in your mind, right? People don't see it, maybe, but you are thinking it. And God knows that. What about the weather, right? This weather this past week was pretty weird. It started raining. hasn't rained in a while. Uh, not a big fan of rain. Uh, but Im- imagine it just started raining every single day until Christmas. Like starting today, it started raining until Christmas. I don't know. Maybe some of you are like, yeah, let's go. I love that rain. I don't know. Me personally, I'm like, I don't know. I wouldn't like that rain. It's kind of annoying, right? Maybe this past weekend you couldn't go to practice or uh, you, some things were canceled because you, it was raining. Maybe you start complaining because you don't like the weather. Maybe you like a, a sunny day. You start complaining. What about uh, something we, that, that we dread? Our chores. No, our chores. I know some of you have to walk your dog, and maybe some of you have to walk your dog in the morning, and you have to wake up early before school to go walk your dog. And uh, what if it is raining? What if it's pouring, and you have to go walk your dog, and it's 50 degrees in the morning, and you're walking your dog, and you're complaining, and you're even talking to your dog. I don't want to walk you. Why, why am I walking you? I don't want to do this. And you start complaining. What if you do that? What if it's, uh, maybe you have this problem. What if your Wi-Fi is really slow in your house? I know I certainly have that. And I get frustrated. Man, my Wi-Fi is so slow. I just wish this was faster. I wish I could watch my YouTube video just a little faster, just five seconds. Right? And I start complaining. What about uh, in sports? What if you get called on a, a red card? And you start, actually, this isn't verbalizing, you start complaining to the ref, hey, what? I didn't do that. Why are you calling me out? I didn't do that. And then, mm, I, uh, 
and the ref takes you out of the game and you start complaining. Now, who are other people that you might complain about? Well, certainly, you might think of your parents, right? Maybe you think, uh, why, why do they not let me go here? Why do they not let me do this? I want to do this. I mean, I feel like I, this is the best for me. I, I want to do this. I just want to have fun. Or uh, what about another thing that you might thought, think is so significant, maybe you've gotten called out on it, is, uh, is rolling your eyes. Uh, maybe you roll your eyes, and that's a form of complaint. That's, a, that's one that you can easily visibly see, right? And I know our, our parents hate when we roll our eyes because it is disrespectful, uh, but it's, it's a form of complaining. What about in school? What about your teachers? Do you complain about your teachers? Do you, uh, I know in, in high school, this was a common thing when we would uh, leave the class. The first thing out of uh, our mouths, out of my friend group's mouths would be, um, yeah, I wasn't a good class, right? No, no, I wasn't. Yeah, and then we would start verbalizing our complaints towards this teacher. Man, I wish you did this. I wish you didn't get that homework. Are your, are your conversations littered with complaints? You know, ask yourself that. Are your conversations littered with complaints? And like I said in this example of, uh, to the teacher, you're not saying it to the teacher, and uh, you're not saying it to uh, anyone that would hear that's in authority, but you're, you're saying it to your friends, and you might not think that anyone hears you, but certainly God does, and he knows that. Oh, uh, I think some of us might dress up our complaining with uh, nicer words. I think a, a common word is uh, venting. I, come over here. Come over here, Ricardo. I, I just need to talk to you, and I need to vent. Uh, I need to open up. Uh, my, I need to open myself up and tell you what I really think about Mrs. Anderson. I just, come, come, come over here and listen. I, I need to tell you what's really going on. I need to tell you how she's making me feel. All right, venting is not good. Venting is a, a way of, uh, of dressing up something that really is not good, that's horrible and destructive. It'd be like if I told you, uh, hey, here's this present. It's for Christmas. I just gave you a Christmas present. Ooh, a present. Nice. Thank you. Okay. And I just say, yeah, look, I mean, look at the wrapping. It's really nice, right? So uh, I, I like uh, wrapping that has deers on it. I don't know why. Uh, right? The best wrapping paper I could find you. You got little deers on it. You got a, a cool little bow. Wow, that's a nice present right there. And I just tell you, yeah, but there's just one thing. There's a stick of dynamite inside. What? Why would you give me that, Jose? Why would you give me that? Well, you don't think that's going to be destructive for me? That, that's the same thing as uh, our venting and our opening up to other friends and telling them, this is how I really feel, and I just need, a, I just need to get lend an ear from you. That's the same thing as uh, when we complain and, and do things like that. Now, I think we need to realize that complaining starts with, uh, firstly, our desires. Our desires. And it's important to know our desires don't have to be uh, bad all the time. Desires uh, can be neutral. It's either good or bad. And, but it's bad when those desires turn into expectations, right? If I desire to have that mac and cheese that my Uncle Paul actually got, I wanted that mac and cheese. And then as I'm thinking, as I'm eating, man, I, I expect to get that mac and cheese. I want that mac and cheese, and it's going to be mine. And I'm just waiting for it, right? I, I'm trying to chow down on my mashed potatoes to get to my mac and cheese. And then, this is another thing, so desires, expectations, and then I think it's, it's going to be my right. I, I feel like I deserve that mac and cheese. And that's why I get so frustrated with my Uncle Paul when he gets that mac and cheese because I think I deserve that and my Uncle Paul doesn't. See, it's a, it's a process from uh, you get your desires to your expectations and then those turn into your rights. And that's where we say, this is not fair. This is not fair. I, I don't think it's fair that my Uncle Paul got this mac and cheese. He's had more mac and cheese in his life 
than I have ever had. It becomes your right. And I think that's where it becomes sin. Now, I know there are some of you who are going through uh, some tough times. There's some of you who uh, maybe you think those examples are silly. I'm actually going through something that's tough. And it's hard for me to not complain. It's hard for me to not complain. Now, I, I do want to acknowledge it's not wrong for you to express your feelings to God. If you guys are familiar with the different types of psalms uh, in, the, in the song book of the Bible, there's uh, songs of lament. You guys know what those are? Songs of lament are when uh, people, the psalmist would e- express their uh, feelings towards God. And the difference was is that they were doing this to affirm what they understood about God. They were expressing how they really felt. God, I, I feel lonely. I feel alone right now. I, I feel like no one is around me. And I feel like, man, yeah, my circumstances are not the best. But the difference was that at the end, they would always affirm something true about God. God, you're faithful. Your love is not going to leave me. You're a refuge. You're my strength. Right? That's the difference. And so if you are going through something tough, you should pray to God uh, about himself. Tell him, God, this is how I'm really feeling. But I I know that ultimately you're good. You need to remind yourself in prayer Uh, and you need to remind yourself that God does all things for our good. And so if you are there right now, I don't want to make uh, light of that. Now, if I were to ask you, who's who's the people in the Bible, who's the people group who are known for their grumbling? Israelites. Booyah, Israelites. Let's let's turn to a passage in Numbers 14 where we're going to read about their grumbling. Why is it that they were grumbling? In uh, Numbers 14, in verse 1, it says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled. Against Moses and Aaron, the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, if you guys just glance in uh, chapter 13 there, it says there's a, a report of the spies. And so here, they were on the verge of just going into the promised land. They were about to go in. They were intended to go in, but they start complaining about something. Uh, in, the, in your ESV, it says that there's a, a report of the spies in chapter 13, if you see that there. Now, this report of the spies was uh, they went into the land, they go spy out the land, and they, get, they brought back a negative report, but they were showing a lack uh, of trusting God. These spies were saying, hey, look, we can't we're not going to enter it. Well, there's no way we're going to enter the promised land because uh, there's no way we're going to defeat all these ites, the uh, Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. Uh, there's no way we're going to be able to get in. And so this, they brought this back to the leaders, and then uh, Israel started to get scared and started to complain and grumble and say, God, why do you even bring us here? We're not going to be able to go into the land. Why, why are you doing this? In uh, verse 3, if you just glance at the last part of it, it said, would it, would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? They wanted to go back to Egypt. And actually, it's kind of funny. They go uh, in the, into the wilderness by the Red Sea, which is next to Egypt. Um, and also in 
uh, verses 2 to 3, you look, it says, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. They said that they would die in the wilderness. And they said, we don't want to answer it. You know what happens? They never actually go into the promised land. And they die in the wilderness, which is funny because they said it themselves and God fulfilled that. Um, And I think God was in control there and orchestrating everything so that whatever they said, God would would, uh, cause it to come to pass. And actually, if you look at verse 3, there's another thing. It says, our wives and our little ones will become a prey. They thought their, their kids were going to be hunted by all these ites. And you know what happens? They themselves die. And who's the one, who are the ones that are actually going to the land? The children, right? It's the kids, which is like, what? They said it themselves, and the kids actually went in, which is like, man, God was totally in control there. They themselves said it, and God did that. And so the kids go into the promised land. Uh, that's 40 years later. Now, it's a, I think it's a, it's a good thing when I asked you guys, like, uh, who are the people that are known for grumbling? A lot of you said it's the Israelites. That's a good thing. In another sense, it's also sad because they have a reputation for being grumblers. That's not a good thing that they're known as complainers like C-3PO was, right? We know that C-3PO was someone that complains. And in the same way, Israel was known for complaining. And that's not, that's not a good thing. Think about it. If I were to ask you, uh, if I were to ask your close friend, what's, uh, what's, uh, what's Caleb like? Uh, what's, uh, what's Micah like? Right? What's Josh like? Are they someone who is content and satisfied, or are they someone who is always complaining? Right? Think about that. That would really reveal what you're really like. Are you like the Israelites? Are you someone that is uh, content and satisfied? Now, the goal is that you would be known for your contentment. That's the goal. Not like the Israelites that are known for their grumbling and for their uh, discontentment. Uh, Having a reputation for being known for contentment. That's what I want for you guys, and that's the goal of what God wants for you. So I want you to write down for point number two. I want you to be known for your contentment. Be known for your contentment. There's something I've been wanting to do for a couple years now. Just to check it out and experience it. It's actually a festival. I don't think I've ever been to a festival, but it, it's a festival, and it actually took place yesterday, uh, last night. It was somewhere here, somewhere here in, in SoCal, and this is a big event. There's thousands of people that attend it. It's, uh, it's called the Lights Festival. It's really cool. Uh, just check it out on YouTube. It, it, it's sick. It's, uh, the idea of it is pretty simple. It's not, a, it's not a necessarily a music festival, but it's something that I would say it's, it's an art. It looks cool. So what it, it, what it is is you pay, uh, you pay your $60 to get in, and you get this lantern. This lantern, this simple lantern. And you get to draw on it and make little designs on it and put whatever, you know, little hearts or whatever, peace signs, I don't know. You can do whatever on it. The cool thing is, is that at night, you, uh, as it is, uh, as it's dark there and it's a, it's a dark night, you use these lanterns, you light them up, and as you draw your little designs on it, you let them go up into the air and they light up the night, right? It's a dark night, not like the movie, but it's a dark night and you light up the night with these, uh, with these lanterns. And if you can imagine, if you're driving on the highway there and you see this, you would say, wow, what is that? That's amazing. Look at these lights, right? The whole idea of it is pretty simple, but you are, in a way, uh, shining this dark night. And I think God here in our passage says something similar, that we should be like those lanterns that God sends us as we send those lanterns in that festival. God sends us to be lights and to shine brightly in a dark place. In a, as he says, in a crooked and twisted generation. 
Now, if you're a Christian here, you're that light. If you're a Christian here, you have that light. You're a light. And God wants us to, uh, to be bright, to shine brightly. But what precisely, how should we look as lights? What should, be, uh, what should we look like? Well, take a glance at verse 15 in chapter 2 of Philippians again. So flip back there with me. Philippians 2, 15. God here gives us uh, three descriptions of what we should look like as these lights. He says that we should be blameless. He says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights. So there's this uh, correlation between our attitude of contentment or our lack thereof, which is our attitude of discontentment. And that has to do with how effective we're going to be as lights in the world. So it, there's a, a connection between our grumbling or of our contentment and our uh, effectiveness in the world. So just look at the words. It says that you may be blameless. What does that mean? That means that you, I wouldn't be able to point a finger at you and, and say that you're guilty of being a complainer. I wouldn't be able to say like I, I am able to say to C-3PO, yeah, that guy always complains. It'd be the opposite. I wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, it'd be like if I asked your, your, your friend, hey, when was the last time that Caleb complained. Now, what if your friend said, you know what? Truthfully, I can't remember the last time he complained. That would be you being blameless. I wouldn't be able to pass a guilty verdict on that person. That would be you being blameless. What about uh, innocent? It says that you may be blameless and innocent. This is a, a similar idea. It's uh, keeping something pure, not contaminated. Um, whenever I uh, and working and doing my homework on my desk, I always like to have this tall glass of, uh, of my water. Uh, I like to have it there. And uh, I've noticed that I, I don't drink it until I leave my desk, until I'm done with everything, which is weird. I don't know why. And so I have my fear, my biggest fear is that because there's so much time there that my water's just sitting without me touching it, that a fly would get in it. I don't know why, but I always have this in mind. And I think I don't know, I think of like Shrek, like if, if like, you know, Shrek eats flies, like he's an ogre. I feel like I just hope that a, a fly wouldn't get in my water. And this is generally what I think. And, and if a fly did get in my water, that would mean my water is contaminated. That would mean my water is not innocent anymore. That's what Paul's talking about here. The sense that you are not being, uh, uh, you're not tainted with complaining. Now, you might be saying, Blameless and innocent. It does say that, we, that you may be, that we may be blameless and innocent. Is it saying that we should be perfect? That we should be perfect? Um, no, it's not what it's saying, but we should try to be blameless and innocent. Glance with me at verse uh, 13. Chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Right? It is as we are trying our best, as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, to be blameless and innocent, right? Blameless and innocent isn't how we're going to uh, be saved, but it certainly is how we should be uh, portrayed by others uh, in this dark world. Now, uh, look with me. I'll give you an example. In uh, chapter 3 uh, in Philippians, in verse 12, it says, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. Right? Paul himself says that he's not perfect. Uh, but I press on to make it my own, 
Well, why is that? Well, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Think about what it says in chapter, uh, in verse 15. It says that, that we should be children of God without blemish. Right? This is, if you're a Christian, you're not uh, trying, uh, you're not earning uh, favor with God to be perfect, but you are trying your best. He says that he, uh, he, he presses on to make it his own. He's, he's striving and he's working hard to be blameless and innocent. So we should try to be blameless and innocent in a world where it's not that. And it says uh, without blemish. Again, same idea as innocent. It's uh, you not being stained with complaining. You see how complaining can be such a, a debilitating effect on our influence in the world if we're known as people who complain? Now, it does say that we are in the midst. That's, uh, that means that we're surrounded by uh, people who it says that we are, uh, that are crooked and twisted, and that's morally. Uh, people are, uh, our society is uh, crooked and twisted morally. Do you guys know, have you guys ever thought about this, that God has purposefully put you in, a, in this twisted and crooked society, whether that be in your schools, uh, in wherever you go and wherever you're surrounded by, God has purposefully put you there uh, so that you would be a godly influence, so that you would be a light in the world. God has done that so you would be that for that purpose. Now, it's interesting because God actually uses this same description of what he just used of our society as uh, crooked and twisted of someone else, of someone we just talked about, of someone who grumbles in the Old Testament. It's the Israelites. Uh, If you guys want to write it down, in Deuteronomy 32, verses 3 to 4, it says, the rock, he's talking about God, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. God is uh, upright and he's just in all that he does. He's perfect. All his ways are perfect. And look what it says about Israel. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children. Right? What does it say in verse 15? It says that we are children of God. If you're a Christian, you're a child of God. And here, uh, God in a way disowns his, uh, his children, uh, Israel. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Israel is a crooked and twisted generation. It's interesting because our society is the same way. That's what Paul is saying here. That as the society was in Paul's day, our society is also crooked and twisted. Now, God called the Israelites to be set apart, to be uh, holy. That's that word, to be set apart uh, to, to the rest of the world, to be different. God says that we should also be different. See, God originally called the Israelites to be lights. God calls us to be lights, to be different and holy, to shine in the world. Difference is is that we either can shine our light or we can turn it off. As you turn off the lights in your room and it's dark, we can also do that with our light. And that's that's dependent on us, right? And this has to do with either our attitude of contentment or discontentment, right? You see how there's this connection between either you're going to be grumbling or someone that's not grumbling, and that's going to drastically affect the way that other people see you and your effect on others. See, if, if you're someone who is known for someone who doesn't c- complain, uh, doesn't argue, you're going to be a godly influence in the world. You're going to be doing what God says. You're going to be someone that God is pleased with. So how can we increase in our contentment and remove this complaining from our lives? How can we precisely do it? Well, glance with me at verse 16 of uh, Philippians 2, just the first part. This is, uh, it says, holding fast to the word of life, holding fast to the word of life. Now, this is, this is the gospel, the word of life. This is the gospel. 
is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I think by extension, and I think rightly so, it's the words of Scripture. So it's the Bible. It's the words of Scripture. It's saying that if we, the way we're able to uh, be lights in the world is that if we hold fast to the word of life, if we hold fast to God's word, it'd be like a, it'd be like a, if I, uh, if I go to Knott's, I'm not a roller coaster guy. I don't like going to Knott's. I don't like going to uh, any amusement parks. I'm just not a big fan of roller coasters. I know, I know, I know. I know. But imagine, I, for some reason, you got me to go on Supreme Scream. You know, I would never do this, but just for sake of uh, illustration, I got to go on Supreme Scream. Never would do it, but just think about it. What I certainly would do is I would grasp and hold that seatbelt, that whatever thing that is, those straps, as hard as I could, and I would not let go. Because I would think that if I let go of those things, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to lose my legs. I'm going to fall and splat on the ground. And that's the same way. If we have that attitude with, uh, uh, with shining as lights in the world, if we hold fast to God's word, if we hold a firm grip on it, we're going to be able to shine as lights in the world. But to do that, we're going to have to know what God says in his word. We have to know what he says in his word. And to do this, uh, once we know that, uh, we're going uh, to be able to remind ourselves of God's word. And it's going to take effort and attention on our part. It's not going to be easy to know God's word and know what it says. But what exactly should you remind yourself of? You should remind yourself of, uh, of different psalms. Look at Psalm 31. You can write this down. It's talking about God's goodness. It says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. Maybe this psalm, Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5. This is talking about the mercy found in God's uh, benefits. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. If you remind yourself of God's goodness, you're not going to see, you're, you're not going to want to complain. If you realize that God is good in himself and his character is good and he's working all things for your good, you're going to say, yeah, there's no need for me to complain right here. God is good to me and I know that. I believe that. What about another passage that this is familiar with you guys? We've studied this passage, James 1. James 1, 2 to 4. says, God being in control of our lives, it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We know that God does all things for our good, for our benefit. Also, not just reminding yourself of God's word, but praying about it. We need to be praying about uh, uh, when we feel the desire to complain, when we want to complain, when we want to grumble. We got to pray about it. God says in Psalm 46, verse 1, that he himself is our refuge and strength. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. When you have that urge to complain, you need to remind yourself that God is good, he's a refuge, and he can help you to not complain. That's how we're going to be able to shine brightly with this uh, attitude of contentment. Turn with me to verse 16 again, but we're going to look at the second half of it. This is going to give us the, uh, the why. Why should we uh, follow here what God is saying to us? To not complain and to be lights in the world. It says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain, 
or labor in vain. Now, why is it that Paul is saying that he wants to be proud? That's kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, proud, you think of, about pride. You might ask yourself, is, is Paul saying that, he, uh, is Paul being selfish here? Is he uh, being selfish in himself, wanting uh, them to just follow what he's saying just for the sake of himself? Well, no, he's saying that, hey, you shouldn't grumble, and I want you guys to be lights in the world, Philippians, so that I can look back when God is judging me, and I look back at what I did in my ministry, and I'm able to rejoice because all of it was worth it, and it wasn't for nothing. That's what Paul wants. And uh, if you just turn to Philippians 1.21, I think this is the reason why. Because this is a familiar verse that we know. It says, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. See, Paul's life was Christ. His whole life was Christ. Everything he did was for Christ, including his ministry. He's saying, I want to be able to rejoice and look back and see that all my effort that I put into you, Philippians, was all worth it. All the love and care and attention that I gave to you guys. And if you guys pay attention to what I'm saying here, if you guys stop your complaining and curb that and are effective witnesses in the world, I'm going to be able to rejoice because my efforts were worthwhile. He's encouraging them to bring him joy. That's what he's doing. This is uh, something of encouragement. He's saying, look, I want you to listen to this so you can bring me joy in the end. In the same way, God wants you to bring joy to other people. Uh, and he, he wants you to bring joy to who? To people that are discipling you now. To people that are discipling you. So for point number three, I want you guys to write down, I want you to be a joy to others. Be a joy to others. Now, because Paul's life was all about God, and the people he was discipling uh, were, uh, were God's children, because his life was God, the, his people were God. See, there's a connection between loving God and loving people. And so because uh, in, in Philippians 4.1, if you guys want to turn there, Philippians 4.1, it says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Where he says that he wants to, he's, he's looking forward to this crown that he's talking about. This is uh, the expression of him seeing all his efforts come to fruition. This is, uh, he, he, Paul here in verse 16 was talking about that he's running the race of Christianity. He's uh, discipling these Philippians and he's exerting himself for these. He's laboriously uh, working for them. If you guys uh, have ever worked hard for something, if you guys have ever uh, worked tirelessly for something, uh, maybe in school or for some project, you know what he's talking about here in working uh, hard for something, for a goal. Now, I ran a cross-country and track in high school. So uh, what the point of pretty much this whole sport is to just get PRs, to personal records, to work hard for PRs, to work hard for personal records for this goal of getting a new time on, uh, on your race. And uh, I was never the best, so I never got a crown like, you know, maybe Paul's talking about here. I was never able to stand on a podium and, you know, be presented an award or anything like that. But I, I, I did work hard for a goal, and that was to get a better time in these races. And in the same way, Paul is, is saying here, look, I'm working hard for this goal of you guys being uh, spiritually mature. I want you guys to be saved. Uh, that's what he was saying to the Philippians. And uh, think about all the people that are working hard for you right now, people that are discipling you tirelessly for you. Think about that. Who are these people? People that are exerting themselves for you. Well, first of all, you can think of your parents. Your parents. Your parents are, are, are bringing you here maybe twice a week, maybe more times 
a week. Uh, and, and they do that because they're praying for you, they love you, they care about you, and they're working hard for you so that you are able to hear God's word and are able to be saved. Think about Nathan. What does Nathan do for you? Well, he prepares these sermons every single week for you. Think about it. Nathan is thinking about you when you're not even thinking about him during the week. He's thinking about every single one of you during the week. He loves you and cares for you. He, uh, he, he prays for you. He talks to you guys. Think about your leaders, your small group leaders. They work uh, tirelessly and uh, work with effort for you because they love you. What do they do? They lead small groups. They meet up with you. They disciple you. They take time out of their week to be here faithfully every single week, right? Take time out of their week to take you to dinner or to lunch. They care about you. Right? And this is all because they love you. First of all, because they love God, and consequently, because they love you. Now, I, I, I would say with all of these people that I just said, your parents, Nathan, and your leaders, we all want you, we all want to see you in heaven. We want to see each other there. Imagine that moment where, when we're able to see you and we're able to rejoice and say, wow, look, Caleb is here. I'm so glad that my effort that I put into Caleb was worthwhile. Imagine that. Imagine that. See, they're in a race too, and God has placed you on their track. God has placed you on their track, and they're trying their best to be faithful to disciple you. They're trying their best, and I want you guys today to be faithful to what they're trying to be faithful to, to disciple you. I want you guys to listen to them and to appreciate them, to uh, apply what they're saying. Now, in cross-country, in the track, we uh, worked hard. We did different things for this goal of getting a PR. We did mile repeats, which were not fun. We do like four a day, four mile repeats. Next day, we do... Uh, Hill repeats. So we'd go up the hills, run up the hills, get our best time. You know, it was, it was hard. It was tough. Uh, we, would, uh, we would do sprints, which was not my favorite. That was my least favorite. We'd do sprints. We'd do sprints for like three hours, running sprints. And this was all for the purpose of trying to get a PR, this goal, this goal. So in the same way, your leaders are working hard for you for this goal, first of all, so that you would be saved, so that you would come to uh, repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then also, that you, would, uh, that you would mature. Right? Many of you uh, have uh, repented of your sins and placed your faith in Christ uh, because of your leaders, because they told you the gospel. And some of you uh, maybe will do that in the future because of your leaders or because of Nathan or because of your parents. Think about that. God uses them as vehicles, as vessels for you to hear the gospel and to mature. And I want you guys to appreciate them. And I think the best thing we can do for these people in our lives is that we'd be faithful to them. We would listen to them. We would apply what they're saying, uh, that you would do what they want you to do. In uh, 3 John, small book at the, uh, almost to the end of the Bible, 3 John, verses 3 to 4, it says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. And here he's talking to these people that he was ministering to. He says, Indeed, you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The Apostle John was in the same way talking about what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Philippians. Like, this is the biggest thing. This is what we want. We want to be joyful as people who are discipling you. In that day when God uh, recalls all that we've done, we want to be joyful and look back and see, yeah, that was all worthwhile. And that has to do with you guys listening uh, to this message and not complaining and being witnesses 
in the world. I want you to think about how different things would be if you actually were uh, today applied this uh, principle. If you guys stopped complaining and were able to be effective witnesses, what would change? Think about your friends, uh, the conversations that you, had with their, that you have with your friends. Maybe your, your friend goes up to you and it's, like I said in my example, Ricardo comes up to you and he wants to vent and you don't listen to Ricardo. You, you shut him off. You say, hey, what's going on? Right? That's good that he's saying, what's going on? That's what we want, uh, for you to not engage in that, to not engage, engage in complaining. What about your family? Right? Um, your, your family would notice that you're not complaining and arguing about things anymore. Think about how different that would be, how uh, great that would be, and how uh, much that would honor God. Uh, think about Thanksgiving and the holidays that are coming up. Right? Maybe you have family who aren't Christians. Think about how effective that would be if you don't complain, if you don't argue, if you're grateful and content with, uh, with the holidays. My prayer is that you would uh, actually be able to do this, that you would uh, be able to have an attitude of contentment starting today, and that in that, you would be able to be effective uh, for God in this world. So let's pray about that and ask God that he would help us to do that. God, uh, you are good, and we, we recognize that we naturally aren't content, and we naturally aren't satisfied with the circumstances that you've placed us in, the situations that you've placed us in, and uh, I, I pray, God, that today we'd be able to be obedient to your word, we'd be able to be people who are truthfully content, uh, who recognize that you're good you are faithful to us, and that you love us, God. Help us by your spirit to not be people who are complainers, but be known as people who are content and be effective in this world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.